Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the JMO Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Michaels, and our guest this week, we've got Dewey Jelm back on the JMO Podcast. This is Dewey's fourth, maybe fifth time back on. I don't know. I guess I lose count, but Dewey's a good a good friend of the crew. He's an NWT champion, most recently winning the third regular season stop of the NWT here in 2023 on Francis Case Reservoir, uh, Missouri River Reservoir in South Dakota. Uh, it definitely was not Dewey's home body of water, but it's relatively close to where he lives there in South Dakota. And so we're going to break that down. Dewey has a ton of information. We have all the time in the world in this interview for Dewey to just break down everything about that tournament. And it's super fun, entertaining to hear the stories. And also, uh, you know, just having my notepad out, writing everything down. Because, you know, listening to, to somebody, an angler with this level of skill set, and, uh, and this level of experience talking about breaking down a bite that ultimately ended up in a win uh, for Dewey. It's just really, really fun. Uh, really fun to have this conversation and to allow Dewey, and, and I appreciate Dewey's time and willingness to really talk about the details and, and bring all this information uh, to us, for sure. We also talk about some of the off-the-water things going on with Dewey because you know Dewey's momentum is just unbelievable, and, and, and it you know, there's so many great anglers. That he fishes against. I mean, I mean, Dewey is one of a, one of those guys. We've we've talked about it before. Dewey's one of those guys, but there's a lot of them out there. And what makes Dewey special? Well, I think part of it, a big part of it, is some of the things off the water and his support system, his family, his friends, his wife, and just how they support him and they travel with him. He's just uh, he's got such a great thing going on there that he can go out and just fish with all that support uh, behind him. I just think it's very meaningful and, and having an opportunity to highlight that and have him talk about it is is uh, is a very enjoyable for me as well. And uh, another thing that we kind of highlight in this interview. That is really, really fun. We talk about uh, a really cool project going on there with Dewey and, and uh, some of his tournament colleagues uh, making a really great YouTube production, a really well-produced YouTube uh, video production that showcases some of these guys' tournament fishing and some of the behind-the-scenes stuff and some of the storylines that you just don't get, you don't see if you're not there, uh, you know, involved in the tournament world. Um, but it's really entertaining, really fun. You get to see these guys in their natural element fishing tournaments, and that's called Tour Level Gold. Uh, go to YouTube, search Tour Level Gold, and watch uh, the episodes that have been launched already. And you know, there's there's definitely more to come. I think this is going to be something that definitely uh, continues for a long time. So we talk about walleye fishing, we talk about tournament fishing with Dewey Jelm, uh, his most recent win on the NWT and all his support and the momentum that he has in tournament angling. So, yeah, just a really, really, really great, very fishy, very fun, very enjoyable conversation with Dewey Jelm on this week's JMO Podcast. Let's get to it. Lake Oahe continues to be one of the best walleye fishing destinations across the country, especially here in the Midwest. When we look back on on a season, especially in recent years, As to where the biggest walleyes are being produced, Lake Oahe continues to be on that list and will be for years to come. If you're planning a fishing trip to Lake Oahe or you're just planning a family vacation that's going to be in the vicinity of Lake Oahe and you think maybe you got time for a day of fishing, if you've got any questions about lodging or fishing information or a guide service, Look at the MoRest Motel or the MoPro Guide Service owned by Brent and Kelly Chemnitz in MoBridge, South Dakota 
For more information, get in touch with Brent and Kelly at 605-845-3668 or look up what they offer online. That's OahiWalleyes.com. Link is in the description of this podcast. So you, you just had a tournament on Francis Case, NWT tournament. It went as good as it could have possibly gone for you in terms of your finish. Um, you know, what can you say about that? How, uh, let's let's spend like, we don't have to spend this whole time talking about it, but, I, I you know, I can't have you on without asking you about it. So whether it's a five-minute update, a 10-minute update, 20 minutes, whatever, um, tell me about uh, the tournament and how it all went down and just some of the, you know, some of the key points here were removed from it only like a week. So it's pretty fresh and new. But tell me, tell me about it. Set, set me up the story and tell me all about it. Um. So, yeah, basically what happened was is I obviously just won the the third stop um, National Wally Tour of 2023 um, down in Pickstown, South Dakota. And uh, so basically last year, when the schedule came out and I knew that we were going to be going on the pick sound. Um, I kind of already knew that it, you know, was potentially going to set up for the style of fishing that I like to do. Um, and that's, you know, forward facing sonar and, um, throwing, throwing baits at, um, specific fish. Um, so I always kind of had my eye on this one going into, going into this year. And, uh, so yeah, I got down a couple of times, did a little pre-fishing with my mom and dad. And, uh, right away knew that, you know, it was, it was, it was setting up exactly like I wanted it to. It was, you know, jig wraps and active target. That was, that was the deal. And, uh, so going into practice, um, you know, we was just basically trying to find the area or the, the section of the river that held the most fish and the heaviest fish. Um, because there was an, there was a couple of areas that actually probably had more fish in it than the areas that we were fishing but they were on average, you know, two to three ounces lighter per fish. Um, and like any tournament, but especially this one, when it's literally a game of ounces, uh, that was a huge deal. So that was uh, ultimately, you know, this, you know, a huge factor in how I won that tournament was this, you know, basically figuring out that section of the river that had just a little bit heavier fish. Would you consider Francis Case as like, you know, it's South Dakota, so, you know, maybe the outside looking and we might assume that that's like your home turf or something you might consider your home body of water. But like, where does Francis Case stack up for you on that regard? Like, like just to let people know, like, is this like, like, was this a home game for you or do you like, how did you feel about that? Um, No, though. I mean, yes and no, I should say, Um, you know, being that it's a Missouri River, um, Lake Hawaii is actually my home body of water or maybe even um, Lake Sharp. Um, you know, I live in Pierce, so below the dam it's Lake Sharp, above the dam is Lake Oahe, and them are the two bodies of water that I primarily fish the most in. Um, but it's a reservoir, um, so regardless, there's definitely some similarities. But, you know, the Pick Sound event is, you know, or Pick Sound itself is, you know, three hours away from my house. Um, the upper part of Lake Francis case, which would be like Fort Thompson, um, you know, that's like an hour and 15 minutes away from my house. So I fish quite a bit down there, um, around the Fort Thompson Chamberlain area in the springtime. Uh, and that's typically just because it's, you know, the first, you know, 
kind of few areas that open up um, in the springtime. So that's generally when I fish Francis case. I hardly ever uh, fish it in the, in the summertime. And like I said, it was, it was the first time that I've ever actually fished that part of the river or that, that part of like Francis case. Kind of like my next question is like, as a tournament angler, you travel around like, I know every lake, every tournament probably is more situational than this, and and the answer would possibly be different. But what do you feel like having like you know th- that familiarity in a tournament situation? Like, what do you feel like being like your uh, you know a hometown boy versus somebody that travels? Like, what are sort of the advantages and disadvantages in your mind? Is it just knowing already what spots you should start looking for or patterns you should be looking for? Do you know where those heavier fish are? Like, or you got to break that down just like anybody else. Um, yeah. So I think there's pros and cons to to both. And the main, you know, probably the main pro in my mind would be, um, typically you would probably know the areas that the fish are in. And then you're probably going to know, you know, either certain baits that work the best or colors um, but I think the biggest thing um, that can potentially hurt people uh, fishing their home bodies of water are, you know, you have 5,000 waypoints of this lake and you caught them here and you caught them here and you caught, caught them here. Well, then tournament time comes around um, and all you ended up doing was basically running all your same stuff that you've fished your whole entire life. But don't get me wrong, that that does and can help more more times than not, but it can also hurt you. Um, when you're trying to find something that, um, you know, or try to do something that nobody else is doing, because um, typically, like even down in Francis' case, you know, all you know, generally most people are fishing trees or fishing the backs of bays. Um, everybody was kind of targeting it on the same type of stuff, but if you could do something that a little bit different than everybody else, that's generally what separates you. Um, you know, from the rest of the field. Right on. So like, is that part easy for you? Like having an open mind, like fishing a Missouri river reservoir, something that you just, you know, prior to that tournament, you had to just feel like this was your wheelhouse. At least you're like you said, you kind of, you know, you kind of felt like your style of fishing was going to work. And like, you kind of had the bigger picture sort of in your mind, you had some confidence already in that. But when you get, when you start pre-fishing and you are on the water, you actively have to do it just like everybody else that's from anywhere. Um, is it easy for you to keep that open mind and you're looking for stuff and you kind of, you don't, you don't put as much pressure on your old waypoints or is that something that you've had to learn over the years? Um, I, you know, for me, it's always been, you know, I just, I travel with a couple of really good guys, uh, John Hoyer and Dusty Minky, and just, you know, the knowledge that them guys have and then, you know, bouncing ideas off them at night um, when we get back to camp. That's, I think, what ultimately makes it um, fairly easy for me to try to go out and do different things because I don't need to go out and catch 10, 20, 30, 50 fish, whatever it is, a day and, and pre-fish. Like, I don't, I honestly don't even need to catch a walleye. All I want to know is, you know, the areas that them fish live in um, and the areas that them you know, the heavier fish are, you know, obviously you want to sample some, but, um, it's not, it's not a deal where I, I need to go out and have the best pre-fish because that obviously doesn't win you the tournament. This tournament, walk me through it a little bit, kind of, you know, whatever you're willing to share in terms yeah. of the story. Tell me the story 
of how things sort of evolved with through your pre-fish and, you know, having those discussions, uh, you know, with Dusty and John and like, like how many sort of ideas did you start with and like, how, how did it narrow itself down or was it obvious right away? Tell me that story. Um, so basically when in the, the pre-fish, um, and just, you know, try to, we were trying to stick as close to as possible as we could, um, to pick sound just cause you don't want to make long runs. But then we also want to know, you know, how far north are we going to have to end up running? So then we, we started fishing up, um, around that plat area, um, or dock 44. And we just kind of figured out right away, um, throughout pre-fish that them fish were like, there's some fish up there, but they're definitely on the move. You'd catch them one day. Um, and then you go that next day and like, you would not see a single thing. And then you'd be like, like, so I'd go up there and then Dusty would go up there the next day and you're like, Dusty's like, I'm not seeing anything. And you're just like, are you looking at the same stuff? Like they were loaded there yesterday. And he's like, yeah, they're, they're gone. So we obviously knew that them fish are heading South. They want to go South to get in that deeper water. And uh, so we, we really focused, you know, on that last 30, 40 miles on the bottom end of the river. And then as far as baits, um, you know, we just, I just know from experience that, you know, swim baits, uh, jigging wraps, all that type of stuff works really well, um, especially if you're going to utilize uh, forward-facing sonar. So them are kind of this, the baits that we kind of started to play around with. And then obviously the one thing that usually throws everybody a curveball in South Dakota um, is the wind. So we knew that we had, we needed a backup plan. So that's when we really tried to start expanding. You know, we knew the areas, um, but our whole program was casting on active target. And if, if there's three or four footers, casting at individual fish on active target is pretty tricky. It can it, it can scramble your brain at the end of the day. Um, so we we started doing a lot of trolling. Um, you know, trolling spinner baits, trolling crankbaits, trolling, um, spinners with crawlers, you, you name it. And just quickly realized that, you know, we could catch a few fish, but you would go three or four miles without getting a bite sometimes. So just obviously knew that that wasn't the right thing to be doing. Um, so that's kind of when we found that, um, back of the bay in the Creek pattern, um, which, you know, we found them on both sides of the river, um, basically they were going to be protected from any direction of wind if, if that did come to it. Um, but fortunately we, we never had really any wind for the tournament. It was beautiful weather and just really able to use that forward facing sonar for pretty much a whole entire tournament. Yeah, man. I mean, I just, you know, this stories of like, you know, like, like during pre-fish, do you feel like the light bulbs were going off like early like, like, like were some of this, like, or what were some of the curveballs? you know, like you said, like you sent Dusty up there to sort of, you know, maybe like validate, uh, uh, some stuff that you saw the day before, but then it's not, you know, it's not maybe what you hoped or thought it was going to be like, like, what does the vibe turn into then? Like, are, are, like, are you just immediately like on to the next thing you've got? you know, two or three, four things in mind already during pre-fish or are you just going with the flow? Like, tell me, kind of, let me in a little bit more on sort of the vibe and, you know, the conversations that are had that like, uh, you know, like how you're feeling, like how you move and groove. In this tournament, being that, you know, roughly 
you know, 40 miles is basically what we were trying to cover. Um, but we, we already kind of knew the pattern that we were on and that was, you know, basically the deep trees. Um, so that was really honestly what we were focused, you know, we knew what we were looking for and, you know, right away in pre-fish, we were catching nice fish. So we just knew, um, and that's all of our favorite things to do. And we knew right away um, that that was potentially a winning pattern if we could find enough areas um, that were isolated away from, you know, the the typical crowds and where everybody else is fishing. And that's exactly what happened. We just, you know, I would say like the last four, probably three days um, of practice, it was literally, you know, I didn't shut my motor off for six or eight hours sometimes because I'm just driving around graphing. Because if you find that one needle in a haystack, um, that can that can be what wins you the tournament. And that's kind of what happened. Um, it's kind of a cool story. So my dad came down on Father's Day. And uh, my mom and dad were actually down the day before. And it was super hot out. And we caught a few fish. But like I said, we're, we're tournament fishing, pre-fishing. We're not. We don't need to catch a bunch of fish. So it kind of, they love it. But I just know in the back of my head, like, you know, we go out there for 12 hours, it's hot as heck, and we only catch, you know, three or four fish. Um, it's just not a, it's not a lot of fun. It, it can probably wear on you a little bit. Um, but so my dad came back down the next day for Father's Day, even though I told him, you know, you don't have to, it's going to be a long day. We might not even, we might not even fish all day. Um, but what happened was, is we ended up finding the winning spot um, that day. And we pulled in, we pulled into the shoreline and I just started going down it with my active target and I had to run a couple of bouncers out the back and then I was just casting, um, you know, up on the shoreline and we came across this point and I went back in this cup and when I was coming out of that cup, I noticed something on my um, active target that was out, it was, you know, 150 feet out. And I'm like, that really looks like a tree. And we got a little bit closer and it turns out it was a tree in that cup. And there was nothing else on that whole entire shoreline. That was like the only structure around. And I turned around and looked at my dad and I was like, I literally just feel like I won the lottery. And I pulled up on that. I pulled up on that, um, that spot made two casts. The first cast was a 19 and a half incher. Second cast was a 19 three quarter incher. Never looked at that spot again. Um, and that was on Sunday before the tournament. Never looked at that spot again until the tournament. And uh, on day one of the tournament, uh, we went out there at about probably like, I don't even remember what time it was, 10.30, 11.30, somewhere in there. Um, after we left the first primary spot and we got out there and we rolled up to that, to that tree. And I see these two big marks sitting in there. And sometimes you don't know until they move, you know, if they're catfish or whatever they are. And I threw in there and I seen this fish come out of there and I about like pass out. Cause I just, I instantly <laughs> knew, I like, I knew how big it was and it came up and smoked my bait. And, uh, that ended up being, that was like a 25 incher. That was our, that was our fifth fish. We had five fish in the live well at the time, but, um, one over and in four slots. So that I got rid of one of our slots and then replaced it with that 25 inch. So it was like a, probably like a, I don't know, two and a half or three pound upgrade. And, um, yeah, like 
the emotions I felt like I was high five in my co-angler and yeah. yelling, yelling. And I'm sure there was a few, uh, a few, uh, select words that were said and, oh man, it was like, it was crazy. Like I, I, I just get choked up even thinking about it. It was, it was so cool. Lake Oahe continues to be one of the best walleye fishing destinations across the country, especially here in the Midwest. When we look back on on a season, especially in recent years, as to where the biggest walleyes are being produced, Lake Oahe continues to be on that list and will be for years to come. If you're planning a fishing trip to Lake Oahe or you're just planning a family vacation that's going to be in the vicinity of Lake Oahe and you think maybe you got time for a day of fishing, if you've got any questions about lodging or fishing information or a guide service, look at the MoRest Motel or the MoPro Guide Service owned by Brent and Kelly Chemnitz in MoBridge, South Dakota. For more information, get in touch with Brent and Kelly at 605-845-3668 or look up what they offer online. That's oahiwalleyes.com. Link is in the description of this podcast. What a, that is such a great memory because, you know, you know, one thing that I always try to point out that's good for context, you know, for maybe non-tournament anglers, um, you know, or, or, or even like we've talked about this before about specifically way tournaments in South Dakota where, you know, the state regs only allow for one over 20 inches per person in the boat, yep. which is why. So it kind of, you know, it gives context to the weights, you know, the tournament weights or whatever. But even in this tournament, it wasn't that super easy for everybody to catch overs anyway. So it's almost like you were keeping you were keeping them all. You know, if you caught two overs, that was, you know, for a lot of people, probably as good as it got. But the other thing, too, that I want to point out as I'm listening to you is like, you know, winning a tournament so often can come down to, you know, just, you know, the luck, you know, to be perfectly frank and honest, like, you know, skill and, and just dialing something in really intensely and really well can really ensure consistency and cashing a check or even like, you know, like you can think back on the top tens that you've earned through, you know, through that, you know, just your skills and abilities and everything you broke down. But the win so often can come down to a lottery bite or a Hail Mary type of bite or, you know, you know, I, I want to word this correctly, but because it's not like an undeserving thing. But you think about guys that maybe weren't exactly on the winning pattern in a certain body of water, but they had this insane stroke of luck and they caught a nine yep. pounder. And that oh, can that be. Happens. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, those are fun stories to listen to, too. But as I listen to your story, you know, where, you know, this is this is a bite that you this is entirely earned in that sense. You know, and I think that that in itself, um, so yeah, you talk about being emotional about it in the moment, like, oh man, I can only imagine. If I was your co-anger, I would have been freaking out with you, for sure. Yeah, yeah, and like I said, I mean, as far as like the lug deal goes, I mean, that 25 inch, honestly, was luck. Like, I wasn't, I wasn't catching 25 to, you know, whatever inches a day, like, in, you know, in pre-fish, basically what we were catching for overs um, we're like 21 to 23 inches and, uh, you know, they like a good 21 to 23 incher weighed three pounds. That's, that's just what they weighed. Maybe, maybe three and a quarter, 
but that's just what they weighed. And then, you know, we did catch him 25 to 26. I think John had like a 27 one day, um, you know, and then a handful of 24s. But it's not like that's all we were catching was 24s. Um, so to catch that 25, like that's a that's a kicker over. That's a big over. Um, and same with my first over that day. Um, or I don't even remember who caught it, to be honest, but the first over of the day was a 24 incher on day one. And that, that fish there, um, in my mind was a kicker over like a a 23 incher that weighed three pounds. If you had, if you had them, two of them a day, you might not win it, but you're going to do really well. Um, but then, so after we had a 24 and a 25 on day one, um, going out on day two, I should have thought about this a little bit more. Um, but, what I really wanted was 13 um, to 14 pounds or 13 and a half pounds. It's kind of my goal that I thought would give me a chance uh, to win this tournament. And so when we caught, we, like calling a caught like a 23 inch right away in the morning, we threw that in the box. It was three pounds. Uh, the next fish was like a 2.8 pounder. Um, that was like a 19 and three quarter incher. And obviously threw that in the boat. Um, and that, that fish that was 19 and three quarter inches that, that weighed 2.8 pounds was the exact same weight of the two overs that we threw back on, on day number one, um, which were both 22 inches. They were just, they were just not, not, not healthy. A, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. they looked healthy, but they're just not heavy. They just didn't have anything in them. Um, so, you know, we threw that, we threw that first 23 in the box on day two and then that two eight. Um, and then we caught a couple other slots and then, you know, we had that, we had a hard decision, the one that you don't ever really want to have to make. And, uh, we caught another 23 incher and I weighed it and it was two pounds, 15 ounces. And I just knew at that point, like we already had, you know, pretty, pretty good slots. Most of the slots were anywhere from two to two eight. And we already had one really big slot and we had a couple like a two, four and, a like a two pounder. So, I knew that we had really good slots and we probably weren't going to be able to make up much weight with them. So if we kept that three pounder, we were just going to basically be handcuffed at that weight and not be able to, to get to that goal that I thought I would need to win. Um, so I let that fish go and Ooh. this is at like, this is at like nine thirty in the morning. And okay. So not um, bad, not too bad. No, I mean, I don't have to be until three forty, and I'm five minutes from takeoff. Like I have, all day like there's no way that I don't get a chance at another you know whether I don't keep it hooked up or whatever but there's no way I don't get a chance at a, another big one and I've probably seen about five or six um, other fish that day that you know were that 24 plus inch fish and a couple of them swiped at the bait and this just missed it or whatever happened but they didn't get it and um I literally remember up until the last, the last cast until I reeled in, I never had any regrets because I knew like, I knew that it can happen or I know that it can happen that fast. I mean, in 30 seconds, it can completely change. So I I never had any regrets until, you know, basically I reeled on my baits and put my rod away and I looked at my co-angler and I said, uh, I really hope I just didn't throw a, 
a brand new ranger boat away because that's i mean that's what it felt like it, it felt like i was holding a brand new ranger boat in my hand and i just let it slip you're you're and you're talking about you put it you threw a 215 back yep and but it's not like you didn't have your a limit of fish you just you had an right. under you had an under that would have been around two pounds so so basically you think you feel like you threw one pound away yep that's exactly right um yeah so in this in this tournament you know some tournaments you get in like green bay and some of them lake erie and stuff like that a pound isn't such a huge deal when you're dealing with seven and eight pound fish but in this tournament when you're dealing with you know everybody's generally catching pretty close to the same fish um so when you throw a pound back that really 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 hurts um, especially when most people's weights are, you know, 12 to 13, 10 to 13 pounds a day. Um, that's, you, you throw up, you take a pound off that. That's, that's a lot. That's a lot of places. Oh, yeah. Um, so that's, that's what I ultimately felt. Um, I just felt like, you know, I basically took away my chance at possibly winning, um, going in, going into the way in. And so, I wasn't mad. Um, it is what it is. That's what these tournaments are. Um, you know, you have to make yeah. decisions. Um, and I, I guarantee it's happened to somebody else before and it's happened to me on other tournaments where it actually did cost me to win. Um, but that's, that's what you have to do. You have to make them decisions and sometimes they work out for the better. And sometimes you do, you do get bigger fish, but it's, it's fishing and you don't always get them second chances. Totally. So, I mean, in hindsight, obviously, you know, like Dusty and John, your travel partners, obviously they, uh, they didn't necessarily have any critiques for you, but when you share stories like that, do they ever just like cringe and be like, dude, how are you, why are you doing that? Um, no, not really. I mean, they, uh, we all kind of fish the same way and, um, I mean, we all kind of know what, you know, basically what, what we think we need for the weight, you know, for day two, the, you know, to do well or to possibly win if we're in that position. But, um, no, there's never really any negative comments. I mean, no, it's all, you guys it, work well together. I feel like, yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. 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 I really enjoy cheering for you guys. I really enjoy, uh, you know, just the, the content. Um, of course I'm just, I'm just a big fan of the tournament world. I, you know, I, you know, talking to some of you guys and getting to know you, obviously it's easy to be fans of you guys and, uh, uh just you good dudes and you do what you love. It's something that I love. So I take a lot from it, but, uh, and you know, maybe the other big ticket item that I have to touch on with you, um, you know, talk to me about this really great production that's going on YouTube right now, this tour level gold, um, I haven't even, you know, I haven't even mentioned anything on this show. I haven't had anybody on to talk to about it yet. Um, tell me about that. Tell me about the experience, whether you maybe some behind the scenes stories you have, or just maybe educate the listeners. If they aren't already, we can kind of promote it and maybe kind of all at once kind of, you know, share about it and also kind of share the experience of it, man. Go ahead. Yeah. So basically what, um, John Hoyer, um, uh, Max Wilson and Owen Wilcox, uh, we started this YouTube series, um, and like I said, it's super, super well put together. But it's basically what it is, is basically behind the scenes um, of all of us fishing the National Wally Tour. It's the highs and the lows. Um, it's 
not always about the fish catches. There is a few fish catches in there, don't get me wrong, but it's about what it's like at our at our fish camp or how we, you know, break down bodies of water, um, you know, what we do out in the boats at night um, prepping for the next day. It just kind of gives um, the viewers a little bit different experience. It's not, it's not the typical fishing show. It's more of a, basically, like I said, just what it's like to be one of us, what it's like um, at fishing camp, um, pre-fishing, all that stuff. So it's a really, really cool series. Um, tons and tons of positive feedback from it. Um, something that I know that we're all really, really proud of. Um, it just highlights, it highlights so many different things um, that all of us love to do and that all revolves around fishing. I really like it. It's, it's, it's obviously done in really great taste, but I, you know, it, sometimes I really enjoy the, you know, the scenes where it shows you guys actually fishing. Um, yep. You know, like that's just, I'm immediately engaged when I see you guys just sort of functioning in your element, you know, up on your, uh, you know, up on your butt seat with your head down, it, using your electronics, all these things that we talk about and try to describe, but even those, the, the, even the B roll where it's just like a, you know, just a boat to boat shot where it just shows you up there, you know, in your natural element, I think is just a really picture building thing, um, for the rest of us that just sort of hear about it. Or we, you know, we see this, the, the, the snippets on social media where you say you were doing things, but to really see you up there in your butt seat, you know, just, just with the active target in the water, um, you know, I think that in itself is just sort of engaging for me, but also the storylines. Um, I just, I th- I think the interviews are just really great and it adds so much context to an appreciation, you know, for, you know, what you guys do. I mean, it's a grind, no questions asked. Like, you know, the behind the scenes stuff that, um, is a great story told regardless of who the anglers are, but it's really cool that it's you guys, um, you know, uh, for sure. But what can you tell me about it? What are some, what are some of the behind the scenes stories for you? What it's like having a cameraman in the boat, uh, when you have had, and, you know, having boats chasing you around to film you, like talk to me a little bit about that. Do you feel like it's pretty easy to block that stuff out or is it something that you've really embraced? Like where are you at with that? Um, yeah, a couple of years ago, I would say it was, you know, a little bit hard, more hard for me, but, um, the reality of it now is, um, I'm, I'm embracing it, um, a lot. Uh, I, I love doing it actually. Um, and that's, that's cool. just, yeah, it's just part of, you know, trying to, trying to make a name in the fishing industry. Um, and you know, now that fishing is my career, that's, that's what it's all about. Um, but yeah, so basically what happens with the tour level gold is we have, uh, two camera guys that show up, um, two days before the tournament starts and one camera guy comes with John and I, and one camera guy goes with Owen and, and Max. And generally what happens is, you know, John will have a camera guy one day. I'll have a camera guy one ga- d- uh, day. Same with um, Owen and Max. And then when the tournament comes around, um, if, if possible, they try to get as much footage um, of, you know, John and I, Max and Owen, and we have two boats that that basically chase, you know, chase us around and try to get as much content 
um, as possible from us during the tournaments. And, you know, it, it shows everything from the NWT guys micing us up. It shows literally what we go through um, day in and day out, whether it's pre-fishing or actually in the tournament. Yeah. So it's just, like I said, it's, it's so much um, of behind-the-scenes stuff that you don't see and can't see anywhere else unless you're actually there at the tournament. Yeah, man. Yeah. I think it's a, I think it's a really great deal. You know, I, you know, I, it's, uh, I, I think that it's going to be a deal that you're, you're going to have to continue that as it goes on. You know, I don't even know who's in charge of all those decisions, but ultimately like it's definitely going to be a thing that uh, is going to grow, I think for sure. And, you know, in all honesty, as a, as a fan, as a spectator, as a consumer, um, you know, hopefully this is the direction that we're headed because I think fishing right now is really popular. And I think that, you know, if, if there's other, you know, anglers on that level that want to create a production, I think it'd be all great. I think it'd be cool. You know, everybody's would be a little different. There'd be different storylines and different purposes for everybody. Your guys's is pretty much like, the benchmark of uh, production. <laughs> Holy cow. Like it's just really well done production. So yeah, I couldn't say that enough and promote everybody head to YouTube, look up tour level gold, uh, or just if you follow the guys on social media, you'll see that it's all shared and, and all that. And you'll see the links to all that. Uh, but I think that's a, yeah, I think it's a great production and really just purely from that transparency standpoint that the more we can let people in, the more engaged they are. And that's ultimately what, you know, a big part of doing it is about, you know, that's what's going to draw the eyeballs and, 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 uh, yeah, just help the industry along. So I think it's just a really great move and pretty interesting that, uh, pretty interesting for yourself to be a part of it. I know it was only like a couple of years ago that you and I were doing one of these, maybe it might've been the first or second time, you know, you and I ever talked and you were kind of surprised me and you're like, yeah, you know, I'm going to fish these tournaments full time now. And I was like, Oh man, (laughs) <laughs> and you were just leaving your job. I mean, that was like, like, yeah, I was like, <laughs> I was asking you like really personal questions. Like, oh my gosh, how are you going to quit your job and all that sort of right. stuff? And you know, jeepers, you know, we've come a long ways now, or you've come a long ways now, a couple of years later. And, and, uh, you know, at this point we're definitely not looking back on, uh, climbing poles and, uh, stretching line. So. Right. Yeah, for sure. Like I said, it, um, I don't, I don't miss that career. Um, but it's, that that career obviously is what got me to you know be able to afford my first boat um so without that job i would i would never be in the situation that i'm in um but i am super thankful you know for the opportunities that i've that i've gotten and got to meet some really great people and um you know i've i I really work with some really really awesome companies now and we got some really exciting um, new stuff that's going to be coming out next year that i i can't wait to this year when that happens what you feel i mean you've got this such incredible momentum and uh, you know as far as like uh, you know momentum in fishing you know you're you're traveling well you're fishing well at home your finishes are on par you're you're leading angler of the year after a year that you want angler of the year like like the momentum maybe for the things that people can't see what 
what would you attest? What what would be some things that you would just have you just have to attest some of this momentum and success to that maybe the rest of us can't see? Um, honestly, I think it just comes down with the network of guys that I work with. It's it's not all me. Um, yeah, obviously I've won a couple of tournaments and done well on some other ones, but it's ultimately without these other guys and with all my family and everybody else helping support me um i know that i wouldn't be able to do this and especially with my sponsors if i didn't have if i didn't have my sponsors uh to help push me and um help back me and and believe in me i ultimately wouldn't be able to do what i do and i definitely wouldn't be living my dream so it's i think it's 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 not so much me it's yeah i made some good decisions i've caught a few big fish but um it's it's not all me. There's, there's a lot of behind the scenes people that help, um, you know, Dusty and John travel with them guys. I've learned so much from them, um, and grown so much over the last few years that, um, it's truly amazing. I'm super, super thankful and, and grateful that I get to fish with them guys. And, um, you know, they've, they've honestly become like family to me and, uh, yeah, just, it's not all me. I can tell you that. Talk to me a little bit about, your family. I think it's really cool that your family supports you the way that they do. And I think that, I think that that has a lot to do with you fishing really well. How, how would you articulate that? Yeah, I think I, I mean, I would agree hundred percent. No one last year, my mom and dad, they've always supported me doing basically whatever I wanted to do. Um, but last year is when they ultimately started traveling with me basically to every tournament and it's I shouldn't say traveling with me but traveling to each tournament so you know I'd be out there pre-fishing for a week but then they would show up you know the Wednesday uh, before the tournament and they'd, they'd be there for takeoff so they'd come down I'd tie up to the dock they'd come down and talk to me in the mornings um, this takes a lot of pressure off knowing that you have so many people you know <clears throat> excuse me uh, supporting you um, and basically what what happened was is once they started traveling with me um my parents and and my wife Valerie that's when I actually started doing really well so um yeah they're basically locked in they have to come to every tournament now yeah man I think that that's a big deal I think that um you know, just living well as individuals contributes to our successes in life, sometimes in a really big way, sometimes just in some of the details. But there's no way that, you know, you know, just having good personal relationships and a support system that is just there for you and just like you're there for them um, isn't going to clear uh, somebody's mind. Like going out with, you know, just one job to do and you feel like you've got all the horsepower behind you, nothing against you. That's an incredible and an empowering thing, you know, that, uh, you know, that your, your family, the people that are close to you that are supporting you. I just, I think that's a big deal. And I, I, you don't even have to be a, you don't even have to be a tournament angler to appreciate a good day on the water without your phone ringing with all kinds of people trying to drag you down and, you know, all this old negativity and just, you know, uh, just things like that, you know, where, when your support system is all, all the way behind you, um, I think there's definitely a lot of credit there. And I think, I think that's, it's your credit to share in, 
you're a good son to your parents. I think, uh, you know, I don't know your wife. I'm guessing if we wrote her a letter, she'd say something nice about you. And, uh, you know, but the, you know, I, 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 uh, yeah, I think that, um, when I see that, when, you know, you make mention, you post those pictures, you know, to me, it looks meaningful. And, uh, so yeah, I definitely wanted to give you a chance to shout them out because I think that, uh, I think that has a lot to do with it for sure. Maybe people ought to be thinking about sponsoring your family to make sure that they keep coming <laughs> to your tournaments. So if you're right, you could probably sweeten up some of your sponsorship deals just to make sure that, you know, mom and dad and Val have gas money and everything's good at home. And, uh, you know, that might have to be part of the contract moving forward. Just an idea. Just an idea. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Dewey, thank you for the time, dude. We This is awesome. Just a laid-back conversation. I love the stories about the tournament. It's super impactful. You, you're on a roll. You're doing all the right things and sharing the story with us, uh, you know, talking about breaking down water with your teammates, talking about, you know, just getting those emotional bites uh, to, to win a tournament, talking about those crucial decisions that really had you nervous on day two going into weigh-in, like, Letting us in on that stuff is uh, really, really cool, and I appreciate that. And, yeah, man, I think that uh, anybody that's interested in fishing walleyes whatsoever uh, is going to enjoy this for sure. So that being said, dude, really good on time here. If there's anything else that you want to shout out, you know, talking about, uh, you know, your socials, where people can find you, tour-level gold, we already shouted that out a little bit, but, like, anything that you want to shout out so we can wrap it up. Um, yeah, so basically where people can find me is uh, my first and last name, Dwayne Jelm, on Facebook, and then same thing on Instagram, and that's also where my tour-level gold, you know, you can find that on YouTube, or it's in my link on, or in my bio um, on Instagram, so that's the easiest way to find me. Uh, if you have any questions for me, uh, anything like that, feel free to reach out to me. I try to get back to everybody that asked me a question as as fast as I can and um, after this last tournament it was it was super cool seeing all the young kids come up and um, this you know the excitement that they shared with everybody you know not just with me but all the other anglers um, but I've had a I've had a ton of them reach out to me and ask all kinds of questions so just super cool I really enjoy that part of it so don't don't be afraid to, to reach out and for sure, man. There it is, dude. We've done it. I'll let you back to it, man. Appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Later. Bye. Lake Oahe continues to be one of the best walleye fishing destinations across the country, especially here in the Midwest. When we look back on, on a season, especially in recent years, as to where the biggest walleyes are being produced, Lake Oahe continues to be on that list and will be for years to come. If you're planning a fishing trip to Lake Oahe or you're just planning a family vacation that's going to be in the vicinity of Lake Oahe and you think maybe you got time for a day of fishing, if you've got any questions about lodging or fishing information or a guide service, look at the MoRest Motel or the MoPro Guide Service owned by Brenton Kelly Chemnitz in MoBridge, South Dakota, For more information, get in touch with Brenton Kelly at 605-845-3668 or look up what they offer online. That's oahiwalleyes.com. Link is in the description of this podcast.